Hello, and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 700 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia. And our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the region. My name is Kiernan Russell, and in this episode, we're looking at trans inclusion in the women's movement. All too often, we hear about exclusionary forces, or the voices of forces who seek to exclude trans women from the women's movement. But does this adequately represent the truth? This episode will focus on the ways in which actors in the women's movement are actively inclusive of trans women, questioning the exclusionary narrative that dominates much of the media. With me to investigate this narrative and look at it from the more prevalent inclusionary perspective are my colleague, Advocacy Director with ILGA Europe, Katrin Hugendubel, Caroline Hickson, the Regional Director of International Planned Parenthood Federation European Network, Tanya van Knoring, Executive Director of Transfeminines, Finland, and Federal Vice Chair of the National LGBTI Finland, and Marian Böker from the German NGO Deutsche Frauenring, who is also on the board of the International Alliance of Women and the European Women's Lobby. Welcome to The Frontline, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Um, I'd like to start with you first, Marian. Um, we talk a lot about an inclusive feminist movement. Uh, it's often discussed, but really rarely defined. What does it mean for feminism to be inclusive in practical terms? And how does inclusiveness impact the work? Yeah, it's a very important question. Uh, thank you. I think it means that we are open for all persons who want to join the feminist movement. It's maybe difficult because of the history of many of the women's organizations and many of the experience of the women in uh, the feminist organizations because they have had yeah some experiences and encounters with violence against them and it's not so easy to be open to especially male persons uh, when you have experienced uh, violence against yourself by male persons. And uh, I think they're speaking about trans persons or intersect persons that there's also uh, or has been a lack of information, a lack of know knowing these persons maybe among some people. And it, it has made it uh, a bit difficult in the past to open up for transgender women or persons or intersex persons. But it has changed in my organizations in the last years. It needs something we experience, especially in Germany with the Deutsche Frauenring and uh, being in the Alliance for CEDAW, working, having worked together in the years 2006 to 2009, and then later on. The first years were difficult, but we had to learn to do experience together and work together. And then, I mean, like every other group of persons, you know, you develop some friendships and understanding, and it is more easier to join and work together. But what we haven't seen so far until 2019 was this right-wing uh, movement or anti-democracy -democ movement, which then encounters to have some, I would say, agents in some of the organizations having spread a lot of hate and also fake stories about transgender persons, especially transgender women, then about the terminology of gender itself, <laughs> which was accepted, I mean, in the human rights context from the middle of the 80s already. And um, But it has spoiled a lot of the work together, not in my organization, but on the European level.
level or the UN level in New York, for example, or in Geneva, there were some tensions. But we have fought it for years. And this means to make an organization inclusive, you have to fight to create this or to uh, to keep this openness sometimes when it is under attack. So we have seen that there was a strong attack from many, many sides. And uh, even you have feminists, it doesn't mean it is a heterogene group. They're all of the same opinion. Some might be how would I say, sensible or respond in a very positive way to such fraud or fakes. And uh, so we had a long time behind us now of um, adjusting democracy once more, create, define the conditions and the why and what about. And my basic line was always where there was this kind of fight or fake news and attacks, um, the human rights, because it is really clearly that human rights are indivisible, universal. And so many had to relearn that again. And even it wasn't clear from which, you know, um, movement these attacks were coming. They looked like progressive feminism. And we could bring in facts uh, that they are from the right wing, the racist, from different organizations and movements, uh, not to name some countries, you know, but churches, etc. But who had a specific attention and probably not at all on feminism, on persons, but on another geopolitical background. But uh, it means daily work, I think, to be aware and defend this openness or uh, democratic structures and rules and values you have. So Tanya, I'd like to come to you with this same question about inclusive feminism. Given what's happened recently in Finland, I'd love to hear your perspective about what what it means for feminism to be inclusive. Uh, for us, of course, feminine to be inclusive is much more what we got here from Marian's part. But yeah, it's that we all women will be included in feminism and in, for example, when it comes now to the uh, with the transgender legislation, the new one, in also that we are able to be accepted, be transgender women as a part of the society. Perhaps the better news is that our organization, the Transfeminines, become, I don't know if we are the first in Europe, but at least very much in the front line as the part of the National Women's League, a member, member organization of that. So I have pointed out that uh, in many, many occasions that this is some kind of a conclusion of the CEDAW uh, uh, agreement, the agreement against uh, all, all violence against women for the Finnish part, because, uh, of course, we are very much uh, seeing that the, the fact is that the trans women are those who are at uh, stake there and not, not so much uh, the other which is the opposition's part. But let's see, let's speak more about the, the all-inclusive feminism here. And yeah, we have had very severe problems during the legal process here. During the five years we have been discussing this, especially from the opposition. There have been new actors suddenly popped up on the scene. Two years ago, several of the anti-gender movement uh, actors created new organizations like LGB and Women's Front, which uh, seems that their only task is to be against trans rights and especially transgender women's rights. So, so yeah, we have had severe problems and we could see also in the parliament, in the discussions in the parliament, that the acts taken by these uh, oppositional forces were very Hard. They had uh, very and very organized too. They had even uh, some psychiatric experts on their side who were, uh, let's say, in the society, you know, quite uh, significant posts. 
So they had those as spokespersons. And, and that was a very hard task for us to then to say that now that these are all uh, issues that comes from the opposition and uh, that they are the fake. So that in my opinion, to conclude this first comment is that I see that uh, we have gone very much forward, but we have very much to do. And we have a coming parliamentary election, which is this Sunday, which will mean, as it seems now with the exit polls from the pre-elections, that we will have obviously a very right-wing government as next. And I must say that I'm afraid that we will have some setbacks after the elections. Tanya, if I could stay with you just a little bit longer, could you talk about how the allied organizations reacted to that effort to divide with these new organizations you talked about that were sort of the LGB Alliance or, or Women's Front, um, was, was it able to remain inclusive? Uh, I think that they mostly stayed inclusive. We have to also to remember that also uh, the opposition forces have uh, also their representatives, for example, in the National Women's League. Uh, They have been since more quiet in those uh, scenes, but uh, I think that it has had an impact which is coming longer also in our society, that we have now, unfortunately, a very divided feminist movement in that way that the majority of the feminist movement is with us and we got a very good support, our organizations from the top level, from both the, the women's organizations here as well as at least from those uh, the, the civil servants in the government and and the current government, except for one party there, which was very split in their opinions. But thanks to one party from the opposition, we could have them the law. So I think that yeah, we have uh, something has happened that is not easily unified, at least during the forthcoming years. Um, Caroline, can we come to you? Can you talk a bit about uh, what? inclusive feminism means in practice? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot ever since you asked me to speak because it's something I speak less on. I speak a lot more on abortion rights, for example, and maybe that is telling in itself because, you know, it's almost sad we have to ask the question, isn't it? Because it's kind of obvious in some ways there isn't equality until everybody is equal and if we really mean leave no one behind it's a blinding glimpse of the obvious that feminism needs to be inclusive trans women are women so why on earth wouldn't they be with us first and 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 front and foremost in the feminist movement and yet there's something about the fact that this is the one of the first times I'm speaking directly about inclusivity rather than abortion or reproductive rights per se and so I think there's something about the deliberateness that we need to approach this with that We tend to have a lot of discussions about feminism, which can be quite academic and quite far away from reality. And we need to be actually living in the reality of people's lives. I like the way that Marion talked about the difference being when you actually, you know, know people. And when you're not talking about something that's yeah academic, you know, when I'm now talking about um, the inclusion of, of trans women fighting for reproductive rights, I'm talking about the women who were on the barricades during the Irish referendum. I'm talking about Abina, who's on our uh, strategy committee at IPPF. I'm talking about Niche, who chairs our um, uh, Nominates and Governance Committee. I'm talking about Vic, who works in our 
Caribbean office. And, you know, when you're actually working side by side with people, and when you talk to people, and when you build that understanding, as Marion said, and when you build that familiarity, questions just fall away, and the fears just fall away. And we see the benefits that it brings, because people who are fighting for their rights, for our own rights, if I'm fighting for my own right to an abortion, trans person is fighting for their own right to a, an inclusive service, the power of that um, is what brings the difference. It's not academic, it's not in books, it's us, and it's what we need to fight for altogether. So I don't know if that's answered your your question, but that's kind of where my thinking was taking me. No, it absolutely has. I think you make a really important point both about the need to to take it out of the abstract and then to the real world and our real lives, but also about the value of just getting to know people yeah. uh, and how much of these barriers can get broken down by having it become actual people you're talking about rather than an, an abstract sort of monster under the bed, as, as yeah. it were. Katrin, do you uh, want to share some thoughts from your side about what it means for feminism to be inclusive in, in a practical sense? Yeah, thanks a lot. And I'm I'm just really happy that we have the occasion of actually, you know, talking publicly together about this, because I think the one frustrating thing in, in my work at ILGA Europe is that so often that abstract monster under the bed that's created by the opposition is so much more visible and strong um, than the actual alliances that are happening on a day-to-day -day basis, because they are not seen in the same way, even if we talk about them on, on social media, they don't have the same explosive polarizing power than the apparent opposition. And, and I really have to say in our work, what's so heartening is to see how many organizations, I think both on national level, many of our member organizations, but also on European level. I mean, cooperation with you know organizations like IPPF, but many, many others. Um, in our day-to-day -day work have been so key. And, and I think a lot has been said already. I think it's about trust building as, as any alliance is built on trust building, on getting to know each other, trusting each other. There is a lot on the on information. So what we've been investing as Ilga European is really also a you know trans 101, um, creating spaces where people in good faith can actually ask questions they have. And I think very often what seems to, you know, lead to the non-inclusive um, feminism or, or, or women's rights work is that fear that including trans rights would deter and in a very difficult context for women's rights, the fight even further. But I think in every th single country and also on EU and international level, level is what we've seen is that actually when we come together, when we talk about these questions, when we tackle some of the more difficult questions as well like so how do we really you know ensure safety for everyone we come out stronger and actually the work we're doing is is much more relevant and much more real and and stronger and so I think for me and you know I'm a I, I call myself as feminist for many many years already as well and it's also looking back and kind of for feminism not to make the same mistakes again I mean there's many Luckily now all the reflections come out of how, you know, in the US in the 60s, black women, for example, were told that they now had to join the, the fight of, of white women. And we'll talk about racism later because that's not there's no space on the agenda 
right now. And I think we we cannot do that again. We really need to look at a, a, a feminist movement, a women's rights movement, an LGBTI movement that's actually looking at, you know, everyone in the communities. Um, and, and yeah, just to come back to the beginning, I it's so often happening in our day to day work. And I think we need to we need to make it more more visible. And I think it's the explicit explicity um, that Caroline was talking about that will also kind of further elevate our alliance work. It really strikes me how all of you have talked about inclusiveness being something that requires effort and intention, uh, that it's not something that just happens, but we have to choose to make our feminism inclusive. That, that, that really strikes me. Um, I'd like to come to you, Caroline, with, with a different question, which is about how you respond to efforts from exclusionary actors to try to narrow the frame of your work. Can you talk about how this manifests in the context of IPPF and and your work? Absolutely, I will. But I also did just want to come back to the inclusion because it's almost like, you know, people weren't included and now we're going to include them. Whereas, you know, trans activism has been happening for generations. I mean, it's not, it's not new that trans women have fought for women's rights. And we need to recognize that. You know, in 1866, there was an American black uh, disabled trans woman called Frances Thompson. And she actually was a trailblazer in the fight to end sexual violence because she and a housemate um, had been attacked by a white mob. And they were amongst uh, a number of freed women who were um, raped during the riots. And actually, 140 years before Me Too, she organized four other survivors. And later that month, they testified before Congress about the atrocities. And she's believed to be the first transgender woman to testify before the U.S. Congress. So, you know, in a way, let's not forget this. This is not new or should not be new. And we should recognize that. And, yeah, the question about the division, that is being so deliberately sown. And one reason why it is incredibly important not to allow us not to allow the opposition to divide us is because of the callousness. You know, they have deliberately politicized abortion uh, for years and years and years and years and continue to do so. Um, And they are deliberately politicizing trans rights. And it is incredibly callous. um, And it is actually really dangerous because what they're doing is taking people's bodies and people's sexuality and people's gender identities and they're using them to stoke fire um, not because intrinsically many people have fundamental issues but because they want to maintain power and privilege of a small group of mostly quite a lot of white men but let's be honest it's not only white men there are women Um, there are uh, all sorts of people involved in the opposition movement um but we see it epitomized in the trumps and, and bolsonaro's of the of this world and um they are part of an extremely well connected well funded movement that is bent on destroying a lot of the things that we all believe in particularly as 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 europeans in democracy in the rule of law in how we live our lives they want to take the freedoms away 
that we've fought hard to have, whether as feminists or in many other parts of life. And we've got to recognize that. I talked to our member association um, in the Netherlands yesterday, Rutgers, and uh, they've just finished um, a, a campaign on sexuality education that they do every year. Mm-hmm. And they've had a massive attack by opposition and they're actually having bomb threats in their office you know that's how serious it's getting in Europe so we've got to recognize that and we've got to ramp up and we've got to work together and we've got to not allow any division in our ranks maybe there are certain places where we agree to disagree but we cannot let us divide us because the stakes are too high you you really hit on uh, one piece that I find super important in this question which is about forcing the conversation to zoom out to think about the final objectives of of these opposition forces of exclusionary actors because they frequently try to keep us focused on this sort of small piece but it's it's just a piece of what they're trying to do with their efforts and i find it much easier to keep the conversation moving when we don't lose track of that bigger anti-rights anti-democratic power consolidation picture absolutely Um, and we see it in poland we see it in hungary indeed tanya can you talk a bit about how you respond in 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 your work to exclusionary actors uh first if we if we think about the region yeah it the, the regional implicates of course to the national yeah it's clear it's it's clear that it's very well organized it's clear that they have an agenda which is not just the transgender people or the especially transgender women it's much more longer going like like, like we can say see from what has happened in hungary I would also like to to make a question ourselves that uh, we speak still about the opposition here, but how long are they the opposition? Because uh, the narrative they use is very simple populistic messages that goes home. We had here a research now before the parliamentary elections that it showed that 30% of those who had a first-time vote will vote for the right-wing opposition party, the real Finns on which agenda there are, for example, in the new leaflet they produced two weeks ago, some kind of policy, there was about 10 pages, uh, such hate speech and uh, ideology about what trans is that I have seldom seen. It makes one very scary. What is the future? So I see that to answer more precisely on, on your question, how we have tackled this. It has been a fight. I think that they don't even want to hear. We have produced so much material during the five years for the new Gender Recognition Act about facts, but they don't read the facts. They don't want to read the facts. We had seminars. We have been, I have been myself up to the parliament several times to speak, but then in the final session before the act went through, we could hear from the opposition, please give some international uh, references. They have got as much as they wanted, if they would have wanted to listen. And I think that this goes not over from the transgender rights, it comes up then following us. Of course, it's the women's rights, which uh, Carolina very well here described. It's an international movement of ultra-conservative forces that want to go back to something that has never existed. So I think that uh, there is a gap nowadays in and those who are in favor for basic human rights and basic rights uh, against those who wants to hear easy populistic answers to their problems which are focused on some small groups like us. 
you pull out something really important there, Tanya, which is that uh, the engagement that we see from from the opposition is often not in good faith or seeking to find uh, common ground, and that that becomes clear when you try to work with opposition arguments. They're, they're not interested in listening to your answers. Yeah, exactly. They are just interested in mocking. I, I think this is something we have also to take into account when we plan how we will go further with our information. So I don't want that we should copy either their way of acting because that's not valid. We have to have our act- activism on uh, stable grounds. All the uh, policy work we are making must be based on facts so we cannot jump on that. And that creates, of course, a very hard, uh, difficult situations when if you have in the lead politicians who will not want to hear about what you have to present. It's thanks to at least those who are aware of the questions that uh, that are that trans women are women. And in the current lead of the Finnish National Women's Movement, they, they thanks to them, we have got a very good support. And thanks to other uh, NGOs and the civil society actors. I wonder, yeah. Katrin, if you could come in and talk a bit about how in your work, uh, you work to respond to inclusionary actors, perhaps with a bit on that that uh, chameleon-like uh, frame that that opposition actors can take, looking different in different contexts, and how that how that impacts your work. Yeah, thanks. Um, there's any actually many many points I would like to to come back on, but I'll try to be very quick. I mean, first of all, thanks Caroline for reminding us all that uh, you know very often it's the most marginalized in in different communities who have started the fight and and who you know made such important strides for different human rights movements and and now we're we're discussing all of us and some actors are discussing whether they should be included or not um also just a question on Keenan you said we all said it it takes effort to make it inclusive but I also want to say I really as I said, I really think it, it makes it stronger and actually it, it double pays off as well. Yes, in the beginning, you have to ask yourself who's actually setting the agenda um, and am I setting the agenda as in- inclusive as possible? Um, but then actually the, the work comes more and more naturally and makes it makes it stronger. On the question of, of countering, I think we had, I mean, we had many, many conversations with different organizations, but also within the ILGA Europe team on how do you how do you counter arguments that are being made in bad faith? How do you engage in, you know, discussions that are not meant to really be debates? Um, I think many here already on that call said it. Trans is just like one weak entry point that the opposition has identified. It has identified that due to, you know, a lack of knowledge still on on trans people on trans rights it's it is an issue that could possibly divide the movement and and so all of these kind of attacks that are coming are really made to divide and not to point to real problems and and are not actually there to be really countered as as, as Tanya was um you know very very nicely describing from the reality of the conversations around the legal gender recognition law in Finland and we've seen the same thing happening only recently for example in Spain so i think what what we decided to focus on as Ilga Europe is really to to kind of counter that by not directly answering but by actually countering in practice so by actually making sure that other women organizations come on board with us and and speak out 
on issues, um, not in response, but actually, you know, supporting um, trans rights together with us, that we actually um, engage in proactively putting out the possible answers to the fears and the, the opposition arguments that are being spread. So really, it's kind of an countering by acting together, by making the alliances visible rather than engaging into a real debate. Because if the other part in the debate does it in bad faith and is actually not interested in in real, in finding solutions together, um, it, it, it's a dead end from the beginning. I think it's also, many have said that one of the countering mechanisms, and I think we see that as really important as well, is really to continuously point to the nature of these actors from the opposition, so kind of pointing to their track record, which, for example, on, you know, kind of arguing against the Istanbul Convention is is a very clear track record that's not against trans rights, but that's actually a much, much broader attack on on women's rights. Um, And kind of pointing to how that apparent division and how that, for example, also those questioning of the term gender, as that Marion, you know, said, is is recognized since the 80s. I would say it's even going back to Simone de Beauvoir. It's been a cornerstone of the feminist movement and on the fights of women's rights. And so, whereas maybe some people might buy into the apparent thing of, okay, this is about trans rights now, now it's not. It's actually a much broader attack as many were saying before me on this call already, on human rights, on democracy, but also on women's rights and LGBTI rights together. And and I think raising that awareness has been a really important countering strategy for us as well. That then applies to all the different contexts. No, no matter how the chameleon appears, you, you can see the same origins, you can say, see the same agenda behind it, and you can actually discuss strategies on countering it together. Marion, can we come to you? Can you talk a bit about how you respond to the efforts of exclusionary forces in your work, please? Yes, uh, I can only uh, mirror Katrin's uh, and the others' arguments. And uh, I think the strongest we can do is as soon as possible, even we have ended the COVID isolation, is to come back together and build alliances very visible to shock this anti-democracy and anti-human rights uh, movement and show that we have not lost the strength, which was their intention, that we have not been divided, which was their aim. And I have to specify something, Katrin said about the weak group or the most disadvantages uh, who become the targeted group. I'm Jewish and I know exactly that this is the um, strategy of scapegoating and how dangerous this is. And uh, when I discovered this movement the first time in our organization on European level, I was very shocked. And they used almost the same manipulation and strategies like we have known from the past. This was actually the moment when I could discover what it is. And it is not on some persons or in feminist ideology. And um, I think we have to, that's right, encounter them by first of all talk about the facts, show people the long-known financial streams behind these movements, who is the movement, what are their real aims, 
and then speak loudly against them. Because what I also recognized in these last three years was when it started to be so strong that many of our movement's members in the middle, I would say, in the groups, they were silent. You know, they saw the one who was speaking for this movement, the other one speaking against, and they were like, oh my God, you don't have this quarrel here. Don't be so loud, you know. There's always in democracy this group in the middle sitting there and praying for harmony. And I think this is the very weak point of democracy. We have to get them together to encourage them to all speak out, to all insist of democracy, human rights, and our values and safe spaces and whatever we have created to work together for progress. So what we did in some of the places and spaces where I experienced this was to build informal groups to invite everyone to speak out silently, not publicly first, but, you know, to put questions on the table and then make people more courageous to speak out and get aligned again for a majority against all these threats. And it is not probably only against trans women and the gender terminology. It was just a narrative to get us turned away our energies and attention on this quarrel and no longer speak maybe on public spaces like the European Parliament. So, yeah, we had to come back together and this has function. I'm very happy it has functions. But when I heard Tanya from Finland saying that another country might turn to a right-wing government or a very conservative right government at the election on Sunday, I get frightened and I think we need a long-term perspective of this fight. And this, again, means we have to become visible together as a broader alliance as ever. Yeah, and uh, one thing is definitely um, the the best condition was this uh, or had been this three years of COVID isolation, which made it, this movement uh, very easy to weaken us. But we have to know, show that we have not been weakened. This is my desire, because otherwise I think uh, we can't even encounter many, many other things. Here is a, a lot of geopolitical background turning us away from even speaking out about the whole range of human rights, the whole range of freedoms. And um, there is also something behind of all these movements. They want to explore, uh, exploit resources. They want to exploit human beings as workers, cheap workers. They want to exploit this planet, you know, until there is climate change exit. So they wanted to get rid of all movements who are democratic and stakeholders. We know this from the UN since many centuries was these family-centered uh, groups or right-wing and conservative groups, church-based groups who are not on the side of our values. So, yeah, but I think many people in the European space, UN space have uh, understood. And the only solution always is speak out, speak against, be courageous and align with all the other groups and persons not let us be divided. Something you said in there, Marion, that really sticks out to me as well is the need to create spaces where people can ask their questions mm -hmm. uh, and where people can reveal their ignorance or reveal their concerns. And creating that space is difficult. It comes back to one of the threads from the first comment uh, from everyone is that it's a lot of work to be inclusive. And part of that work means accepting people's questions as coming in good faith and making yourself vulnerable by asking those questions. And that's difficult on, on both sides of the process to expose yourself and, and places where you feel ignorant, but also to accept questions that may feel offensive or, or painful mm -hmm. 
and try to to find the place in that question that it's coming from a good place and and really respond honestly and and with vulnerability um i want to sort of bring us to the the last round of questions and unfortunately uh caroline said had to drop off of our conversation but i'd like to hear from you tanya first about what actions or responses you've seen to anti-trans actors or exclusion in feminist spaces and and how these have worked what lessons you've learned i think that it's so easy to be involved for anyone in an easy rhetoric, in a populistic rhetoric, which uh, defines uh, itself as uh, transphobic, homophobic, or femophobic, xenophobic, because uh, they give so easy answers. They give too easy answers, and even in those cases when it's not populism, the amount of false or falsified scientific results is used to act and to on on the decision makers that we have seen too much. But when it comes also to this kind of more question about transgender women in into feminist spaces, the women's spaces, we had uh, last autumn uh, the last round of our new renewal of the criminal act and its chapters on sexual crimes. We get very good parts there. For example, does that violence against women is now something you don't you don't have necessarily to explicitly show up in court that it happened that it was, but it also it, it also if the aim was to do that it can be criminalized. So there were several very good things, but there was also in the same wave some obviously exclusionary feminist actors who had got through some in the ministry who prepared the law, a paragraph which stated clearly that no one of an opposite sex is allowed to come into a public bathroom. It was clearly almost a copy of the U.S. bathroom bills. And uh, we had quite a job, actually, our organization to get rid of that. We we made a success that it's not included in the new law. So, so we did a success there. And this is perhaps on the legislative level something that I can be proud of that big because we were the first to, to see that it was there. There were several others, for example, uh, many civic society actors who were in favor for trans rights and, uh, and, and inclusive feminism that didn't see saw this as that was a problem. Uh, then when it comes perhaps more to the other, other discussion on the feminist spaces, that was the main subject in the parliament. The last session, it was publicly screamed out by the Christians, by a part of the government's own, the Center Party, which is an agricultural movement. They're some part of their member of parliaments, part of the largest position party, the uh, National Coalition League, and of course the real Finns, uh, that it's a, scan, uh, it's a danger if trans women enter women's spaces, which of course it's not the case. So I saw that here we had a uh, a very hard discussion, and it's the the result of this discussion in the parliament is that we have right now a much more difficult climate than before parliamentary discussion on the Gender Recognition Act. In practice, when it comes to uh, our, our network members visiting um, swimming pools uh, or other sports facilities or something like that, public saunas, um, so we can see that there is a much more reluctancy and also from people who were perhaps not thinking about even the question before 
that they are thinking, oh, now we have a trans woman here inside, and is this okay or not? Luckily, still, though, I think the largest part of the population, at least in, um, in southern Finland, larger cities are in favor of us. But this kind of movement, uh, we have been speaking about the anti-gender movement and the Christian movement, the conservative movements, they are very prevailing on the countryside and in northern Finland. Thanks a lot, Tanya. Um, Marion, could you talk to us a bit about lessons learned and and how efforts to push back opposition have worked? Yeah, moreover, what I said before, uh, I think um, it is structural. My organization in Germany, Deutsche Frauenring, learned, for example, that since decades we have allowed men to be members of the organization. Even we have rarely had some male members uh, who are feminists and shared our values. But uh, we now changed it even to an uh, all-inclusive, uh, for all ge- uh, gender-open organization in the constitution of our organization and the same uh, is with international alliance of women on based on the human rights uh, and um, i think we have for example in international alliance of women uh, what we learned over this discussion uh, the icelandish uh, women's organization which has included already transgender and intersex uh, persons and women also the same in the european um, women's lobby the turkish women's coordination has uh, lgbtiq organizations as members so When the discussion in our organization was vibrant, we recognized that, wow, uh, you attack our own members if you talk like uh, against transgender women or intersex persons or uh, deny the whole gender terminology and everything and push us back for a backlash of uh, decades. So I think first of all is to make sure that our structures, our constitutions, but then also our rules and values are a safe space and safe for a long run. So nobody can come and just, you know, split us over this. And the second thing is definitely the personal relationship that we are open and build not only political or formal alliances, but also share parts of our life. And uh, this, this, I think, is the solid ground for going ahead. But also being aware about history and about this kind of movements and their their intentions. And this thing, I think sometimes we had felt, and this is similar to the Ukraine women telling us about the war situation, that um, we have sitting here and felt so, and I think, too safe in democracy. We have thought everything is fine, went well every day better. Even we know about human rights violation, but we had not been aware how difficult, how strong such Uh, fascist or right-wing organizations or movements can can come up and destroy what we have worked for many, many years or decades or hundreds of years. So I think the lesson learned is also we have to talk more about these geopolitical uh, issues uh, and take them more serious and not privatize so much or just have the focus on our one to three focus issues. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think this helps. And what we also have to do is prepare for a long-term fight, not thinking that while they may be silent for the last two or three months, it is all solved. I think we have to wonder 
what is the next narrative? What is the next action they take? Uh, where is the next country? Which is the next group of organizations of part of the movements whom they will attack? So we have to be very aware. And uh, there's not talking too much about this. And I'm very happy about this uh, podcast and the um, Transgender Persons Visibility Day. But uh, I hope that on different spaces like on the European level in Brussels and somewhere else even online but in person I think it's even important we can come together and create some more events uh, and then talk more about what we are doing concretely because concrete action can even build this trust and uh, progress so there are many things we could work upon but um, yeah I think we should start with the human rights cases especially those uh, enforced uh, sterilization or even the limitation of the rights of uh, these groups and what people should know is also that if we don't include for example transgender persons or we allow attacks on only one person, the smallest, weakest group of persons in our society, then, I mean, they go ahead and attack the next and the next and the next group and they don't, mm. they, they don't have limits. So uh, it is the same story. The um, religious person Niebuhr told us that when the Nazis started their fight, they first attacked the Jews, but later attacked the communists and later attacked the social democrats and later attacked almost everybody in the society. And then there's nobody who can resist anymore. And they have the full power. And this story we have to take as a as a lesson, hopefully learned. And um, yeah, let's start to work more together. This is really the most the core issue, I think. Indeed, hope, hopefully learned. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I really I feel that phrase. Um, Katrin, can we come uh, to you to close us out on on lessons learned, please? Yeah, just a, a few points to add. So I think, uh, first of all, clear takeaway, let's do something like this podcast again in the near future. It sounds like there's a, a big appetite and, and it's just reconfirming uh, what I said in the beginning. Like in our day-to-day -day work, when we approach women's rights organizations, sexual reproductive rights organizations, we have been working together for many, many years. And, and there is always an nearly always, an open door and a, and a clear will to cooperate. And, and I think we should not forget that. We should hold that really dear. Also what Marion said that, you know, if some women's organizations look more closely, actually in their own membership, they have collaborations. We, we really need to cherish that. Um, two points I, I wanted to make is, on the one hand, I think we need to, of course, be really, really clear, especially in public debates and in political debates, but also on social media, transphobia and, and hate being spread, that's unacceptable. Um, on the other hand, I think we need to be very careful, you know, not to fall into the trap to also call out people and push them in on the on the opposition side for kind of saying something misinformed or wrong. So I think, as I can say, as Ilga Europe, we've been really careful in that, especially engaging in, you know, these social media mud fights, because that's not what's going to help. There, You know, it, we said it many times on this podcast, there's a lack of information. And, and to a certain extent, we also need to to recognize the willingness, if the willingness is there, for people to understand and, and to still learn and so whereas on the one hand it's uh, it is really important that this clear stance is taken i think we've seen it in germany for example in parliamentary debates that are starting now around the self-determination law 
it, it is key that not only trans people but allies stand up and very clearly say this is the right thing to do and this is not the space where we allow any dead naming this is not the space where we allow any questioning of trans women being um, women but on the other hand let's not fall into the polarization trap as well and kind of you know, cancel people because they've been saying a wrong thing. And I think that's connecting to, like for us, it's really clear that one lesson learned is we'll continue to create those spaces for conversations in good faith. We we continue, we'll continue to create those spaces for learning. We'll continue to, to try to help to rehumanize the debate. I think, I mean, something. one thing that just came through my mind as well was one conversation I had with one women's organization. We were talking about intersex uh, rights and, and, you know, issues for intersex women. And the answer was like, well, we need to discuss if that's within our mandate. And it, it, it's like as if we're talking about abstract points, if do they fit into the work plan or not. We're actually talking about people. We're talking about a group of women. And I think there's a real need of that rehumanization of that work and I think we need to see where we can all support trans people to actually do that but also where you know and and Keenan was hinting to that where some of the conversations might be too painful as well and it's it's the space for for cis people to step in for allies to step in and to actually take some of those conversations and I think we are we we just really want to continue to work with as many allies as possible and kind of moving those conversations forward. Thanks very much, Katrin. Just to sort of wrap us up a bit, there's there's a piece from the very first round that was said that I want to tie to the last thing that Katrin said, which was in, in the beginning, everyone talked about the need to work to to push back exclusionary forces and how this is this is difficult work. And Katrin's last point about the need for both trans folks and cis folks to participate in this means that there is work for everyone to do there. And sometimes that work is difficult or can be painful or can involve risk. But it's about deciding, as as Marion was saying, uh, to not allow continuously the weakest groups of of people to get picked off from the bottom, but to say, I'm willing to take in, step in, and take the risk in this conversation and try to stop the progression of of anti rights movements or actors, and and that takes an activity from all of us, uh, regardless of who is on the sort of who's in the the sights of the opposition actor in that particular moment. Um, I'm really grateful for all of you and your engagement and, and critical thinking and uh, and perspectives in this conversation. And it's clear that we have, or we could have gone on for, for another hour, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and stop this here. So thank you very much, all of you, for, for your uh, really brilliant insights. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank yeah. you for the invitation. It was great joining. <laughs> Yeah, thank you also myself. And just as a final replica, I said that yeah, the fight is not over. We cannot take any any moment our rights are granted. It's women's or rights or democracy or trans rights. We have to continue the fight. You have been listening to The Frontline with me, Kenan Russell. Thank you again to all of our guests today. If you would like to find out more about them and the organizations they represent, visit the links in our episode description and please subscribe, like, comment, or share wherever you listen to your podcasts. The more we hear from you, the more activists will gain from our work at ILGA Europe to build a strong and resilient movement for positive change in LGBTI people's lives. Tune in next time 
when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. Bye for now.